name is Alice. Welcome to Rewatch, a short series where we revisit the billion-dollar zombie movie franchise, Resident Evil. My name is Andrew, and I have watched every movie and played every game in the series. My name is Eric, and I've only watched the movies and never played the games. Maybe we could change that after all this is said and done, Eric. I don't... well, we'll see. I'm not sure the movies are recommending the games, but we'll see. (laughs) Potentially there's enough crossover here... (laughs) <laughs> that will get you interested. All right. I want to start with a question really quickly. As I was mm-hmm. watching this movie, some a thought occurred to me. Okay? Okay. People in the apocalypse, they're always getting bit by, by zombos. And based on what they're wearing, sometimes it's just not practical. My thought is this. I'm just going to throw this out there. Chainmail. What are we thinking in the apocalypse? Chainmail. Good idea? So... Yes, mm-hmm. potentially, right? Like we we experimented with chain mail for sharks and that seemed to work pretty well, right? Yeah. The problem is it kind of slows you down. Yes, I had considered that. So I, I highly recommend if you're at all interested in like taking this zombie apocalypse thing even a little bit seriously, mm-hmm. Max Brooks is uh, the zombie survival guide. Yeah. Um, and he also wrote World War Z, like the book, not the Brad Pitt movie. <laughs> and he did a lot of like actual research yeah, about like the best things to do if there were a zombie apocalypse. Nobody in this movie follows any of them. Correct. Right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of his research is predicated on like knowing that zombies are there. Right. So we'll get into it. But like this is technically the start of the zombie apocalypse and like we kind of have a social contract that like people don't bite each other. Right. (laughs) Kind of. So like, I think everyone was taken a little bit by surprise when people just started biting each other. Yeah. Yeah. You can't prepare for that. (laughs) (laughs) You can't prepare for that. Yeah. My thought was maybe 80% of people in this movie get bit in the, like the neck or the arm area. And I was like, Mm -hmm. just uh, a clothing that was a bit more practical would solve this problem, would solve it's true. so many people, lose, useful people losing their life. That's all I was, Chainmail. I was like, it's the halfway point. It's, a, it's not a full suit of armor, which would certainly be cumbersome. And it's not essentially like a tube top that Jill is wearing. <laughs> it's uh-huh. like a happy medium. Ag- agreed. Yeah, uh, agreed. All right. I, I think it would, it would be better than regular clothes. Maybe a bit more prohibitive than, you know, like maybe police body armor. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Fair enough. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. The tactical tactical armor, probably easier to come by and uh, potentially just as much in in the way of benefits there. But yeah, when I watch these things, I'm always like, God, I'd be solving these problems left and right. as, As soon as someone got bit in the arm once, I'd be like, okay. We got to fix this arm thing. <laughs> Everyone cover your arms. Yeah, I'm telling you, that zombie survival guide is, is it's really interesting, the amount of work he put into it. I think I recall that, but I, I don't know if I read it or I just caught an excerpt. Was there, 
if 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 I'm remembering the same thing, did he not create like a weapon that was like a shovel axe thing? Like, wasn't there like it was like a shovel, yeah. but the it, uh, like a, or a spade rather, I guess. But the sides were like enough yeah. to like remove a head, I guess. I think that actually shows up in World War Z more. Okay. Um, where that becomes like an, an, a weapon issued to like the infantry, right? Is like mm. your shovel is also an axe, is also a pick. Like you have like three different ways to behead a zombie. But yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Zombie <laughs> survival guide. All right. I'm a, if I don't, if I haven't read, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out. It might have been so long <laughs> since I've read a thing. <laughs> We're not here to read things. We're here to watch That's things. That's right. <laughs> Let me get some housekeeping out of the way and we will get into this proper. As always, uh, you can find this and all of our other podcasts, of which there are numerous podcasts now, at 12and24.com. You can email us, hello, at 12and24.com, or hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Dark Driving. Eric is at Platypus Jones. And you can agree with or debate us or whatever. Uh, if we get enough feedback, maybe we'll create a listener mailbag episode, or as we move along here, we'll kind of address feedback live on each episode or maybe after. I don't know how it works exactly. This is like a mini series, so I don't want to like date it necessarily. Um, but still, get in touch. You can also join us on Discord and chat in real time. That's 12and24.com slash Discord. There is a dedicated channel now for all things Resident Evil, which is very cool. And then finally, if you want to support us with just a moment of your time, share the show with your friends, with your enemies, living or undead, it does not matter, then rate and review us on iTunes. Super helpful. And uh, if people like this in the miniseries thing, we might try to tackle this for other like franchises, I think. It's, it's worth exploring, at least. So we're not dedicating years of our lives. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a couple of like interesting franchises that I think we could, we could do some miniseries on. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. Some I've seen, some I haven't. So, you know, I would love to revisit some more. If, if every year you and I, or you and I and another person get together and rewatch a horror franchise or something in October, <laughs> I would be fucking like, that, that sounds like a dream to me is like, Friday the 13th is up next or Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween, whatever. We talked about oh Halloween. Boy. That's crazy mess. Anyway. <laughs> you got you got a lot of movies. You start tipping into some of those franchises. I know. That's the, that's the real problem. At some point, if you did Friday the 13th, at some point you would have to watch Jason X. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't, who would who would do that to themselves willingly? Oh, I don't know. I, I kind of like Jason X, <laughs> so I'm on board. Hey, I like the nanotech suit that he gets or whatever. <laughs> He's basically Iron Man before Iron Man. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen it. Don't get me wrong. I've seen it a, a number of times. I just, I don't know if listeners would be into that. We'll see. All right, let's get to the show proper. Eric, are you ready? I am ready. We are we are moving on to the second film in the Resident Evil franchise. Apocalypse. In the pursuit of human perfection, accidents will happen. There's been an incident. How bad is it? We're reopening the hive. I want to know what went on down there. Sir, there's something in here. The infection is spreading faster than anyone could have anticipated. Seal the gates. Our men are still out there. Let's do it. We're expendable assets. And we've just been expended. Now, those left behind... We're gonna take 
must battle an enemy that will not die. They all have completely generic names. So <laughs> if you would have said to me, which one is the second? I had no idea. The only one that's the, the only two that are easily discernible is Resident Evil and then Resident Evil, the final chapter. <laughs> but that will be broken in late November when another Resident Evil film is released. So, I mean, in their defense, they are restarting the franchise. That's so true. Like, I'll, I'll allow it, right? Like, we have a problem. You were talking about the Friday the 13th franchise, and number four is the final chapter, and they went on to make 11 of those. So yeah. at least they didn't do that here. It wasn't too long after the final chapter that that dude went to Manhattan, you know? So Exactly. It's just a weird place. It's a weird place. Mm -hmm. So Resident Evil Apocalypse. This was written by Paul W.S. Anderson, but it was not directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, which is interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I don't really think about how these films are directed. Mm. Um, I think the, the story is a bit messy, but we can put that at Paul W.S. Anderson's feet. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I'm not sure changing directors made a, made a huge impact on the series. That's true. But for the sake of uh, being thorough, I will say this was directed by Alexander Witt or Witt, W-I-T-T. I'm not quite sure how he pronounces that. So... Mm -hmm. This is his first feature film as a director, but this dude has either been a second unit director or a camera person for some absolute banger movies. I'm going to list a few of them right now. His first second unit directing job was on a movie called Speed. And if you know me, this guy's, he's, he's already like shot up to the top of my list of favorite people. Wow. And second unit on Speed had to be intense. Yeah. Second unit on anything any of these movies, just listen. So it's Twister, Gladiator, Hannibal, The Bourne Identity, The Italian Job, that's the 2003 version, obviously, Casino Royale, American Gangster, The Town, Fast Five, one of Eric's favorites, Skyfall, Avengers, Infinity War, and most recently, second, second unit director on No Time to Die, which is like, that's insane. Yeah, although it does say something that he was director and ended up going back to second unit. I will say, yes, uh, there is something to that. <laughs> but yes, that is, a, that is a great resume. Yeah, the, the, the second unit, if you're not familiar, is a totally separate director and team. I mean, obviously everyone is under the umbrella of the director, but second unit commands his own team and they're usually off shooting action sequences green screen, working with the stunt doubles, doing establishing shots, all in service of the main story. So they very rarely, well, not very rarely, but they don't work with the primary uh, actors as much as, you know, first unit, I guess. Still Typically, a, yeah. Still an intense job. Don't get me wrong, but uh, a different set of problems. I mean, arguably more intense. Yeah. I mean, depending yeah. on how you're approaching it. Yeah. So I, I think that'll that'll be interesting as we as we talk about this movie. This guy is the guy you hire to shoot action, which his resume backs up. All of those movies have an, an insane amount of action and stunt work in them. 
So that'll be cool to talk about. And it's not unheard of. I mean, Jan de Bon, who directed Speed, yes. started as a second unit director. So like it, it is not unheard of for a second unit director to move up. But it's interesting that I don't know how much more he did <laughs> after this. Oh, like two movies. That was it. Okay. One, short, right. <laughs> one more movie and one short film. And then he's gotcha. like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to go back to stunts. Know thyself. <laughs> you know? And he did a kick-ass job. I mean, Fast Five is great. Has some great crazy stunt work. Skyfall is another one of my favorites. So, yeah. yeah. I didn't, yeah, I didn't mention, I mean, every of the contemporary Daniel Craig Bond films, this guy was second unit on. Director. Second unit director. So that is a very impressive uh, pedigree of, <laughs> you know, dudes worked on a lot of stuff. Yeah, good for him. Co-starring alongside Mila is Sienna Guillory, Oded Fair, Sophie Vavasseur, maybe. I'm going to go with that. Sure. Razak Adadi, Jared Harris, Sandrine Holt, and an outstanding bit of comic relief from one Mike Epps. Yeah, they really upped the comedy in this by... A hundred percent. It was like no comedy in the first movie. Zero. Yeah. There was some snark maybe in the first one. This one has some straight up laugh out loud moments. It's as Mm -hmm. for me at least. I mean, there's one whole scene that I have no idea why the hell it's in the movie, but we'll, we'll get to that. It's just a Mike, Mike Epps comedy beat. And I'm like, what was the point of that? (laughs) Not to bury the lead or I mean, I, I want to try to work this stuff in and not like dedicate it to a whole section. The role of Mike Epps was originally cast as Snoop Dogg, right? Snoop Dogg was signed on to play a part of this movie, the, the Mike Epps part, and and left for some reason. It's not, as far as my research goes, it's not clear. And I, you know, okay. as, as good a job as Mike did with the material, I really would love to see Snoop's take on this. <laughs> yeah, that's... It's probably a slightly different character, but yeah, but still. Snoop can be funny. I just don't think Snoop was funny when this movie was made. Like he has grown into his comedic persona. Yeah, he wears it well now. But again, yeah, we're talking two thousand and four ish, two thousand and three. If it was filming, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let's talk budget and box office for this one. It's very impressive. Yeah. Um, according to Box Office Mojo. Film had a forty-five million dollar budget, which is up from thirty-three million for the first movie, which is substantial. That's a lot. Yeah, uh, twenty-three million opening weekend, up from seventeen million for the first movie. Fifty-one point two million domestic gross, up from forty million, and one hundred and twenty-nine point three million worldwide, up from one hundred and three million. So. <laughs> And there it is. Like, there's your number, right? Like, Screen Gems or whatever sees this. They're like, yes, yes, <laughs> more, please. Their domestic gross is still not like setting the world on fire, but that worldwide. Yeah. Uh, people just love these movies. They're showing up. They're showing up. Yeah. We have critical and audience reception. Mm, boy. The critics were not mm-hmm. kind to this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just, as a reference here, okay, the critical score for the first movie was 36%. I just referenced our old notes. Critical okay. score for this film is 19%, which is bad. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Audience is up around 60%, which is pretty good. 60 doesn't sound like a lot, but Rotten Tomatoes has like this weird curve to it. Uh, 60%, you know, 
that's like a that's a pretty decent audience score for something in this genre, I think. Yeah, I mean, I to, ostensibly that's still fresh, right? I think. Yeah, they they By have their, uh, yeah, it's not rotten. I, I yeah, yeah, not the little splat icon. So <laughs> there you go. It might just be like right. the tomato, not the glowing tomato or whatever the <laughs> the ranks are. But yeah. So Andrew, are you closer to the critics or the audience on this one? Here's what I'm going to say. All right. Uh huh. I'm closer to the audience. And maybe even beyond the audience. I had a really? lot of fun with this movie because wow. despite some of the problems, they did what I needed them to do, which is just like lean into the ridiculousness, give me more explosions, give me more set pieces, give me more hero shots. And for me, they it felt a little bit smarter about the visual effects. There are still some ones on, in here that are pretty rough. And they're almost exclusively about the liquors, which was rough in the first time, too. And I'm like, what the hell? They still didn't fix this. I mean, it got better. I thought it got better. It did. But yeah. And they were, again, they were hiding those with like darkness as well. Uh, yeah. And I think that's their stalker type creatures. So it makes total sense. And then, like we said in the first movie, the practical effects are great. When you see Nemesis, which is a weird character design, granted, um, that's a pra- that's practical. Yeah. And so it still holds up now. Like it's all, you know, disfigured and has, you know, weird face stuff going on, but like hey, it's a practical suit. The dude is moving and walking. It's not it's not terrible. No, agreed on that for sure. The comic relief, I enjoyed. I thought that was pretty great. And then some of the choreography, which we'll get into, I think we'll just touch on some of the points that I really liked about the choreography as we get to them, but like I think during this point, Paul W.S. Anderson and Mila were married, according to our, you know, whatever. And I think he was just like writing. He was like, oh, she's going to look badass when this happens. <laughs> cool you know? shit like, for his I think wife he, to do, yeah. Yeah, the dude really loves his wife. Mm-hmm. He's, given, he's given her so much to, to work with here from an action standpoint. Again, the story is basically non-existent. But I think as we established, not really... I'm not really coming to these for <laughs> like the deep, deep story uh, arcs. But uh, how about you? What are you thinking? I mean, I would, I would say I'm somewhere between critics and audiences. I'm okay, probably in the like fifty percent area. Yeah. Um, and while, like, your final point was you don't come here for the story, and I agree. However, it is so the actual like plot points and exposition are so fucking convoluted that like this is where the franchise loses me mm-hmm. right is where they start to get into some real like it's not even like dumb sci-fi right like i'm 100% here for dumb sci-fi there's just some things that come up in this film where i'm like what is the point of that like who what she can do what now? Right? <laughs> yes. So honestly, like I was missing the stripped down, like here's the mission structure of the first movie. Cause this movie is mm-hmm. just all over the place. You know, like you're following a couple of different plot points and, or a couple of different plots rather until they converge. It takes way too long for everybody to, to get together. And like, 
like I said, there are just, we'll talk, we're going to get into the plot in a second, but there are a couple of points where you're just like, wait, what now? Like what just happened? Yeah. I think they were trying to do the parallel storylines of like you're, you're with Jill and that group and then you're with Alice and either she's solo or with a smaller or different group and trying to write them to a point where they meet and it's badass. But maybe if they just started, if they like met earlier and they were all as a unit, that might've been, I don't know, maybe more cohesive. I think I would have been more interested if each of those individual plots had something to do. Like, I feel like the Jill storyline is just meandering until they meet Alice, right? Like, they're not, they're sort of vaguely doing something until they meet Alice, right? So, like, I think that was what was frustrating for me is, like, they were clearly individual plots because you wanted to bring them together later, and you didn't give one of them something to do. I mean, arguably, you didn't give Mike Epps anything to do either, right? Like, they're just waiting to meet Alice. Yeah, yeah. I think I probably bring a little bit of game uh, of the, I'm filling in my own little gaps right. uh, with pre-existing <laughs> knowledge. And that, and a lot of it is not even necessarily true. <laughs> like he skips, uh, well, I mean, we'll get into it in a minute, but Nemesis, the this whole Jill as a character, uh, Carlos as a character, Nemesis as an enemy that's from the third game. They completely skip over most of the second game okay. for the for the most part, which is an interesting choice because that's like the that's like the darling of if you were to ask ten people ten Resident Evil fans what their favorite one is, uh, you'd probably have a pretty equal split between two and four. So it's it's interesting that he was like, "Nah, we're just going to skip that one. Forget about that. <laughs> Let's right. do three. So, Maybe he'll bring it back in a later movie. Who knows? Uh, some of the characters from two do. I can confirm they do appear in in later films, and the reboot uh, that they are working on is a combination of Resident Evil One and Two, like the games, the characters that you see in that the trailer for Welcome to Raccoon City. That's from Resident Evil One and Two. So it'll be cool to see how they this new director and these new actors approach it. But pretty neat. Pretty neat. Let's talk plot. Are you ready? I am ready. I have, I think, less pages of notes this time, but like, (laughs) we'll see how it goes. All right. Take us away. Uh, So this movie starts instead of a scroll. This time we get a recap of the first movie via video. Alice is like telling who she is and what happened in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shift to like a newscast. We get a friendly news reporter telling us how everything is fine. It's even low pollen out there, people. <laughs> uh, you know, they they sort of transition into suburbia and then do one of those shots where like we just go right underground uh, and we discover that there's a bunch of scientists re-entering the hive. Right? They are mm-hmm. they're at the gate we saw in the first movie. Um, they get about five feet in the door and discover like the T virus contamination is off the charts and they get swamped by, by zombies. Right. So presumably this is not good for everybody. Uh, the next thing we get is like a bunch of umbrella black, black SUVs and they just start collecting a team of sciencey people, 
Um, the primary one is Jared Harris. Uh, we know he's a scientist cause he wears very small glasses. <laughs> he has a computer at all times. He has a computer at all times. <laughs> yes. Um, and he absolutely like has to, they need to get his daughter too. Right. And that's going to be important. When we meet his daughter, we realize that, uh, it is the little girl that they modeled the red queen on. Yeah. Um, and, as sh- as they are like driving away with his daughter, they get in a car wreck. Mm. The movie completely shifts to thirteen hours later. Uh, we're in uh, uh, someone's apartment. And they're taking off high heels, turn on their police band radio and their television, and we learn that like all hell is broken loose. Right, full on zombie apocalypse. Um, people are like biting each other live on the air, whatever. Yeah. So this woman gets dressed in a pair of shorts and a tank top. Uh, and walks into the police station and just fucking starts shooting people because <laughs> that would go over. All off duty law enforcement personnel are required to report for duty assignments immediately. Wait a minute, it's just Valentine. And everyone, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and they're like, like, "Oh, oh, it's Valentine." So apparently, she's done this before. I don't. I'm not really clear. I mean, it is a hell of a character entrance. It is to be fair, but it is absolute. Like, I these are the most inept cops I've ever. Like the every it's total chaos in the precincts. People are getting murdered by actual zombies. Why aren't these people? Why aren't they in a cell somewhere? Uh, so she's like, we, we've got to leave town and she just fucking leaves. Uh, <laughs> um, just, just wild, Smart. right? Like she's a cop. Uh, I, I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, she's on the stars team, which is like, she is special yeah. weapons intact. It's SWAT basically. And she's yep. like, Nope, I'm out of here. Gotta go. We skip to like another view on the umbrella people and uh, somebody initiates Project Alice, right? And <sighs> we basically yeah. jump back to the last five minutes of the first movie, which I mm-hmm. still say would be a better cold open, um, yep. where we see Mila Jovovich wake up, stumble out of the hospital, and discover that there's been a zombie, zombie apocalypse, right? Now we know yeah. they call her Alice. So somehow, completely unexplained... Umbrella is able to completely quarantine the raccoon city, leaving only one exit on a bridge out of the city. I don't, this is the most poorly planned city ever. (laughs) Or Umbrella just dropped a dome like in the Simpsons movie. Like, yeah, it seems that way. It seems that they, the response is incredible. I, I try not to get bogged down in details like this, but it is. It is like a fundamental trope of zombie movies that they get out and they like that the number of zombies expands exponentially. Right. And they cover that here. Yeah. But like it is very confusing that like they've managed to quarantine this whole city somehow. Anyway, (laughs) we meet some umbrella commandos. uh, Oliveira played by Oded Fair. Mm hmm. 
who I'm I'm curious in this watch through. I've always argued that he's the lucky charm of the franchise. The good movies are the ones that he's in. Not sure that that holds true now that I've watched two again, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So uh, they see a woman getting like overrun on a roof. So he does this like badass jump out of a helicopter thing. Uh, we get a what is almost a new metal music cue, but you mentioned earlier they've kind of backed off that part. Marilyn yeah. Manson is not scoring this one. It's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he does all this like crazy awesome shit and this woman jumps off a building anyway because she was bitten. Right. Yeah. I would be pissed if I was him. I was like, exactly how accurate I was at terminal (laughs) velocity. Look at me. I was free falling, (laughs) headshotting on the way down. It's incredible. Uh, We cut back to the gate where Jill has arrived because she's leaving. Yeah. um, And one of the infected has gotten through and Umbrella's like, hell no, we're just shutting it all down. Right. Close them. Sir, seal the gates. Our men are still Just out do there. it. This is a biohazard quarantine area due to risk of infection. You cannot be allowed to leave the city. All appropriate measures are being taken. The situation is under control. Please return to your homes. You have five seconds to turn around and return to the city. Use of live ammunition has been authorized. So, like at the gate, we have Jill, her partner. I was never really clear what their relationship was. I might have looked away for a second. Um, It's It's not super clear. He's not from the games either. He's like a... A movie character, so okay, yeah, uh, and the the television reporter that we met earlier, mm-hmm. so they're they're like a team, right? Um, at this point, we're like fifteen minutes in, right? I feel like I've been talking forever, but like <laughs> it's pretty quick. This is literally just the intro, right? And like now we have a zombie movie, so we get like cops and umbrella fighting the zombie hordes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like Umbrella's trying to get everyone out and Jared Harris is like, not without my daughter who, who they can't find. Right. He does one of my favorite bits of movie hacking, which is he enters a password. It doesn't work. So he enters a different password and he's in. Right. <laughs> it's the best. It's the dumbest bit of like hacking I've ever seen. Like he doesn't yeah. uh, just wild. That hack gets him access to a 3D map that's also tied to, like, every CCTV camera in the city. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, from a, like, movie standpoint, this is going to sort of become our, like, transition slash establishing shots for the rest of the film. Yeah. Like, Like, they don't use fades or wipes. We just sort of move between camera feeds, which is a very video gamey thing to do. So, like, I get why they did it. But, like... I don't know. It gets old fairly quickly, right? It's pretty I, rough. To me. Yeah. Like, we got to open the map to see where, yeah. we, you know, it's that, it's that exact right. feeling. He finds Alice, who has conveniently discovered the military surplus store from Terminator. <laughs> and, like, she uh-huh. gears up, right, and, like, gets all of her stuff. 
We get our first Alice flashback of the movie because, of course, we're still doing that. Yeah. There's no reason Alice has amnesia this time. Well, I guess she woke up in the hospital, but they never explain it. Whatever. Mm. Uh, And all we get from this flashback is Umbrella did something to her, which we knew because she woke up in the hospital. Jill and her team uh, hide in a church. Uh, they find one of my favorite classic zombie movie tropes, which is the person that's feeding people to a loved one that's turned into a zombie. They're sick. They're sick, Eric. She just I, needs some help. I just adore that trope. Like, I don't know if I love anyone that much that I couldn't let them go <laughs> if they turned into a zombie. Right. And the guy, he's a man of God who's doing yeah. this. So yeah. you got to assume that he, if he didn't kill the person he's feeding, you know, he, he was somehow complicit in dismembering them, which is yeah. equally troubling. Now, the part I don't like about the scene is it literally goes nowhere. Like it goes badly, of course. Yes. But that that's it. There are like no consequences. There's no whatever. Then, then we discover liquors are in the church. Um, we get liquor vision for the first time in this movie. I don't recall. I don't remember in the first movie that we saw through their eyes. Oh, you know what? Maybe. Or, oh, it's no, red. We saw, yeah. from, we saw from the Red Queen's perspective, but not the liquor's yeah. perspective. That's and what it was. And it's very similar. Uh, yeah, it's like predator vision, but but red. Mm-hmm. Not that it matters, but there was like a whole other guy in the church. So he gets eaten. <laughs> So we can see how badass the liquors are without killing any of our main characters. Uh, They try to shoot their way out. There's, I think, three or four of them in there. And as we discussed a little earlier, like the CGI is a little better this time. Yeah. Had a little more budget, spent a little more time on it. They also are not like in a brightly lit laboratory. They can... They can hide them a little better. They're doing a lot of like wall climbing and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Looks better. Then crazy shit happens. Alice jumps a motorcycle through a stained glass window, throws her motorcycle at a liquor, and then shoots it in the air to blow up the liquor. Mm -hmm. Gets out another set of guns, like machine guns this time, and shoots a cross so that it falls onto a liquor. Yes. Then she kicks a church pew into a liquor and shotguns it in the head. Mm. And it ends with the great comedy button of... Who the fuck are you? Totally delightful. That is one of the moments. So when she literally, like, revs it, it runs into a liquor who picks it up and jumps in the air, kills it. There's, like, a two-second silhouette, like, explosion of her, of Alice. And you're like... That's badass. This guy loves his wife. I can tell, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, the whole scene is like, yeah, very kinetic. It's got a lot of great energy to it, but it was one of those shots where like, they probably could have held on that for another f- three or four seconds. And it was just like, a, like here, let's just throw this in just for shits and giggles. And it, it was, it's like a very effective shot. I liked it a lot. I mean, they could have cut out the speed ramping video that show us the bullets were made by the Umbrella Corporation. Like, <laughs> they do everything. Like, what is the point of that? We get it. But yeah. anyway, 
Here is like gratuitous comic relief that I mentioned earlier that I do not understand the point of. Mm-hmm. We, we circle back to Mike Epps, who we met in the police station. Jill freed him, right? So like they have yeah. met. He is just driving around running over zombies while shouting GTA. <laughs> video games. Right. Video game reference. <laughs> And then he gets into an, a car accident because there are some topless zombies. Yeah, zombie strippers potentially, or right. we don't really we don't really know. Sure, what, you know the nature of why they are unclothed, exactly. They were unclothed yeah. when they were bitten. It happens. Mm-hmm. I've seen the movie Zombie Strippers. It's very plausible, <laughs> and that's the whole scene. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I I, I don't understand. It's not that funny. It's not, I, at least I didn't yeah. think it was that funny, but there you go, right? So I just thought it was a wild inclusion. Like when you're cutting down a movie, I feel like that could go. But I guess they were like, we need to check in on Mike Epps. What has he been doing? It doesn't so. get him. Fr- it doesn't get him from like A to B. It's not how he. It, you know, the crash does not uh, like indicate his presence to uh, other people. It's yeah. literally just absolutely pointless. Yeah, that's what it is, yeah. Oded Fair's team gets overrun. Um, they're, like, calling for help, and the Umbrella Corporation's basically just like, nope, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of turning. Um, there's a really cool shot after this. It is completely out of place in this movie, but it's beautiful with, like, a raccoon police department helmet on the ground and like there's burning around it and there's zombies reflected in the helmet. And it's like, it's like a, like a teaser poster shot. Like it's just a really great shot. I have no idea how they let that go in this movie. I'm I'm happy to tell you that it is lifted whole cloth from the game. That shot, they recreated the shot and it looks, I mean, if you watch, you know, the first game is a PlayStation one game. So if you watched the original, you'd be like, Oh, that, you know, it looks, you know, like it's a 20 year old thing, but right. the re, you know, them remaking, it was like, wow, that is very good. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It looked super cool. I was like, I don't know. That is way too creative for this movie. That's but. what, yeah. It's like, so they live, there are, there are a handful of shots and you could probably pick them out and be like, Oh, this was a good shot. And you're like, yes, because <laughs> yes. thank you Capcom yeah. <laughs> thank you for the direct inspiration so our team of Jill her partner Alice and the news reporter wander mm-hmm. into a graveyard um, we have another classic zombie moment where one of them is bitten Jill's partner is bitten and Alice wants to kill him Yeah, but Jill says no okay uh, of course. I got to chat about this though, Eric. Come on. No, go ahead. What What are the rules? <laughs> what are the goddamn rules? Why are the dead rising from their graves? I was about to say, after this scene, all of a sudden zombies come out of the ground. And it is yeah. like the first time we get like full on classic, like shambling George Romero zombies, right? Yes. And I don't know where that comes from either. Yeah, like the 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 idea was that the T virus reanimates dead tissue. Yes, right. And I guess that makes sense, but I don't know why. What brought the T virus to that graveyard? 
Right. I mean, I guess that one guy is bitten. I I, I don't know. I, right. For how it, for the it's it's not like it's not the proximity of where they are. It's literally like the whole graveyard decides to get up at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no there's no logic to it except I'll accept like like you know uh, I think one of the li- Living Dead films it uh, a zombie was burned and maybe there was like some rain or something that put it into the soil right but realistically those people they're they're long dead and buried and mm-hmm. I will say again this same shit happened in Resident Evil Three the game. And I didn't understand it then either. I'm like, I don't, now I don't understand the rules. And it made me upset then too, where I'm like, are we dealing with living people that died because of it? Or is it, is it like the walking dead where we all have the T we're all in the T virus. (laughs) Like what, what are the rules? I mean, that, that is what they're implying, right? Like just everybody gets it, but (laughs) And like, to be fair, there was no way to show that in the first movie, right? Because they were Correct. they were just underground the whole time. But like, the timing of this is very confusing. Like, it, the yes. city appears to have been overrun hours ago. Yeah, I have no idea why suddenly people are coming out of graveyards. I don't like it. I don't care for this. I would have cut this part. And Mike, these <laughs> these two parts back to back need to go. Well, and once again, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere, right? Like it is just a scene and Alice kicks ass. Like it's, it's a good setup for a fight scene. They're overrun, blah, blah, blah. But like, it doesn't go anywhere. There's no moral implication. There's no plot point. There's, there's nothing comes out of this particular scene. Unfortunately. Meanwhile, back at Umbrella, uh, (laughs) they activate the nemesis program, which uh, we heard about at the very, very end of the first movie, and mm-hmm. we're we are guessing it will be confirmed later, but that this is Matt from the first movie. Yeah, and he is a giant. Uh, it's like it's like goth pinhead from Hellraiser, <laughs> but on like human growth hormone. It's like like a really giant Cenobite. Okay. Um, is, yeah. Is basically what this is. Yeah. You're crushing it, dude. The the description is incredible. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we will learn later that this is like a weapons platform, right? So, uh, Umbrella drops a bunch of weapons for Nemesis, and that leads Oded Fair's team to the hospital. Yeah. Um. Which. Okay. Good for them. Meanwhile, we find out that the the Raccoon City Police, the Stars team, yeah, is holed up at a movie theater. Mm-hmm. I love the trope of people that are excited for the zombie apocalypse because they get to shoot stuff. <laughs> the sniper, because yeah. There's a sniper in this, and uh, in the remake of Dawn of the Dead, yeah. Um, they like play a game where like they name what celebrity a zombie looks like and then they shoot it with a sniper rifle. Like it's just, it's one of those like weird things that like 
is probably true, right? Like there are probably some gun nuts out there that would be super stoked if they like just got to shoot stuff with impunity. And that's what this sniper is doing. Yeah. Uh, saves Mike Epps who walks in as a little bit of like comedy gold because he's like, uh, a, a street smart black man surrounded by white cops. Yes. But that doesn't last because Nemesis shows up with his Terminator vision and the minigun from Predator. <laughs> he literally has a HUD. Like, yes. Remaining yep. bullets, remaining rockets. Like, all he was missing was like a health bar. And it would have been like a full ass Resident Evil game. And he has this wild thing where, like, we got to stop this in sound design Hollywood, but we know he's big because he makes a huge noise when he walks. And I'm like, that's not how footsteps work. <laughs> Maybe that's what he sounds like in the game. It is. I don't know. It okay. is. They All stole right. that exactly. Like, because the games were originally fixed angles. So like you would move from screen to screen and the camera is fixed. It's not like follow. It's not over the shoulder or anything. So the only way to let you know that, something is in the area was with sound cues. So you would gotcha. hear these duh, duh, duh. And you'd be like, oh shit, I don't see him, but he's here. <laughs> All right. I found it real annoying, especially like, well, we'll get into sound cues in a minute. Yeah. Uh, we go back to Alice's team and phones keep ringing around them. It's weird. So they answer it. Hello? God, I thought you'd never answer. Who is this? I can get you out of the city. All four of you. But first, we have to come to an arrangement. Are you ready to make a deal? Do we have a choice? Not if you want to live beyond tonight, no. So his name is Dr. Ashford, and he runs... runs the Advanced Genetics and Viral Research Division of the Umbrella Corporation. What's he want with us? His daughter, Angela. Is trapped within the city. Umbrella was supposed to evac her, but she didn't make it. She's hiding out in her school. We find her, he'll help us escape the perimeter. According to Ashford, Umbrella know they can't contain the infection. So at sunrise this morning, Raccoon City will be completely sanitized. What do you mean by sanitized? Precision tactical nuclear device. We got our ticking clock. We got an actual mission, finally. Right. And like, you know, I guess this is our act too, right? Like we, we have something to do. As they are making their way to Jared Harris's daughter's school, Alice can sense Nemesis. This starts a weird fucking like spidey sense she has that really annoys me. Yeah. Where like she can just like smell the T-virus or something. I have no <laughs> idea. Nemesis kills the partner who was already bitten anyway. So like low stakes, we knew he was going to die. Yeah. Uh, she takes off and Alice runs straight at Nemesis. Mm -hmm. um, this seems like a bad tactical move. Is this how you have to fight him in the video game? It's mostly running from him, to be honest, because okay. he does have uh, a rocket launcher in the game. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a wise maneuver. To take him on, he will, at least early in the game, he will wreck you. It's not great. All right. Uh, <laughs> then it makes even less sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
You hear him, you run. It's not good. Yeah, a chase ensues. We learn that Nemesis, despite being so heavy that he makes loud footsteps, can just hop over a fence. Alice escapes, um, and then, like, Nemesis just leaves. Like, (laughs) I, I, I was a little bit confused because, like, they're setting this character, monster, whatever, to be sort of a a Terminator, right? Like, doesn't stop until everyone is dead. And, like, she escapes down a a tunnel. It's like a garbage chute or something. And he fires a missile down there. It's just like, well, I guess I got her. So, I don't know. It just My work here is done. Yeah, like, weirdly convenient. Um, We get one of my favorite uh, weird movie shorthands for toughness which is the hero resets their own broken bone. Oh, yeah. I love this move in movies. It's so stupid, but like, ooh, like she, like, I think she, she broke her finger or something. She reset her finger. Jill and the reporter are the only two that are left from that team. They get attacked by a jump scare. This movie seems to have a lot more jump scares than the first one. Oh, yeah. And a lot more like fake out jump scares where like they build the tension, you open the door, oh, it's fine. And then, oh, wait, no, it's not. Like one or two of those I'll give you, but they do that several times in this movie. They all meet up at the school at Angela's, sorry, Angela is Jared Harris's daughter's name, Mm -hmm. the Red Queen. Uh, They all meet up at her school. They're looking for her. There is some foreshadowing because for some reason a raccoon PD canine unit was at this school. Um, So I wonder what that means. Uh Uh-oh. We get the jump scare that's not a jump scare that is then a jump scare with Mike Epps, but he is saved by Oded Fair, who at some point in the film that we never see was also called by the doctor. And told to go get his daughter. Right. <laughs> right. He's calling everybody. So by wild coincidence, now we've got the whole team together. The The group has, of course, split up to look for Angela because these are idiots in a horror movie. Yes. Um, the reporter finds a kid. She thinks is Angela. Turns around. Of course, it's a zombie. But here is one of my least favorite tropes in monster movies and that is that the zombie horde is as loud as fuck until they want to be sneaky right this woman is like in an empty room and then all of a sudden like 50 zombie children show up and eat her (laughs) they're so little that's why you can't hear them no noise yeah like i just ugh. i'm like just make your rules and go with them right Mm -hmm. like it doesn't uh, anyway i get it i get it (laughs) It's like the rising from the grave thing. I can't stand it. Why did that happen? Why are these kids? Zombie kids would probably be even more noticeable. More terrifying. Yeah, well, certainly more terrifying, but probably (laughs) like just the pit, the timber, the pitch of their voice. They're they're like, (laughs) you know, I think it would just... It's, it's, it's disturbing on all levels. To, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't like it. Um, the great thing about Angela is she still talks like the Red Queen. Yes. So like at one point she's just like, you can't help her. Like I was fully expecting her to tell them they were all going to die down here again. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, escaping from the school, we get finally get our zombie dogs. Um, you mentioned in the first episode that they're like a staple of the franchise. So yeah. I'm here for it. That's fine. 
Zach Ward, who's been in this movie, he's Farkas, he's the bully from A Christmas Story, mm-hmm. is doing a Russian accent for some reason. <laughs> no. I, like, is this a character from the game? I'm happy you brought this up. Mikhail is 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 the character. So it's the umbrella. They're, Carlos and Mikhail, who would be his boss, is ostensibly, they are on the umbrella, essentially like the countermeasurement squad. So like... Umbrella has their own private army they send in to take care of, I guess, shit like this always happens to the point where they (laughs) have their own army. As you do. He's the the villain of the third game. He is not the good guy. And it's just weird to me that they're like, what? what? All right. He's just a good guy in this one, too. That's fine. Okay. All right. So he is a real Russian character. Yeah, he is certainly a Russian guy. Also a ginger? He was a legitimately very Russian looking okay. sounding character in the in the original games. Uh he was not, you know, I there is a disconnect. I, I'm with you. When you look at yeah. this guy and he begins to speak, it is a little jarring when you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I, of all of the accents to come out of the mouth, Russian was pretty low on the list. That's all well, I'll say. Like all of the actors you could have picked, like surely. I, I don't know. Surely yeah. someone looked more Russian, but so we get our info dump here. You two know each other? She's infected. She's infected on a massive level. How can you know that? Because she is too. You're infected. When were you going to tell us that? But we learn a bit more about the T-virus. It was created to cure Angela from crutches disease. They don't actually say what was wrong with her. She didn't have long. How did you get this? My daddy. My daddy made it for me. He's sick. And someday I'll get sick too. He just wanted to stop that. When I was little, I had to walk on crutches. They said I'd never get better, just worse. He found a way to make me stronger. The T-Virus. Then, they took his invention away from him. He's not a bad man. He didn't mean for any of this. She needed crutches and she was dying, so Jared Harris uh, gave her the T-Virus, which fixed her. Mm-hmm. But only if she regularly took the antidote to keep it in check. So she just has that in her high-tech lunchbox, right? Uh, which be- begs the question, where is this little girl's actual lunch? If it's not <laughs> in this box, what is she eating? So like, this is the kind of plotting where I'm just like, this is, it's just unnecessarily convoluted, right? right. Like, and, and really wanted to sit down with you and be like, is this from the game? Like... This is just fucking wild plotting. This is like first draft high on weed <laughs> plotting <laughs> yeah. that like needed a second pass. The T-virus is v- it's very simple. Uh, it regenerates cells, right? Sure. So if you take it at face value, um, it will just begin regenerating cells. Right. But left unchecked, it produces at such a rate that will, in the original game, 
it usually ended with like, you got a fever, the fever was so bad that you died. Then the cells continue to reanimate, so regenerate, and you come back as a zombie. And that's, it's like, okay, great. Yep. So the precedent in the games is that like, there are certain people that have had the T virus, and if they administer X amount of antivirus, they get some of the benefits and none of the drawbacks of like, Maybe what we're seeing with Al is like some super strength. Okay. Some of that kind of stuff. But again, I wish they just would have like, this doctor should have just laid that out. Like, look, you, <laughs> you, if, if, if you have this or you're bit or you've taken the T-virus and you don't course correct it, then you'll die. Like, you'll die, you'll be a zombie. But it can be managed, essentially. And like, I think I got most of that right but like i don't know it like they're overthinking it just yeah you're overthinking it in the game right? it was like a way for the guy ashford is from the games as well like he did he's the founder of umbrella i don't think he's the founder of umbrella he, i think he's just like a scientist in this but he is the founder of umbrella from the games the t-virus is essentially his gambit to live forever as like an old rich white dude, like just okay. never, ever die. Uh, so that, that was the initial goal of the project. Gotcha. Uh, so once they've got her, they call Harris and he's like, all right, the last chopper out of raccoon cities in 47 minutes, but Oh no, umbrella has been following Jared Harris the whole time. Um, as they're going to the helicopter, Alice records the video that we saw in the opening scroll, which yeah. is just a weird stylistic choice, but, and I don't know if it was meant to be that or if they were just like, Hey, we have this video. Let's use it in the opening scroll. This is very helpful as a recap. They, <laughs> yeah. Um, they find the helicopter, you know, Alice does some like cool ass shit. She does like a rad reverse repel run down the building. Oh, like That was good. Messes up a bunch of dudes. There was a cool camera move. Like the camera falls off the building with her. I, I just like little touches were really, really nice. It was, it was a great little action beat for sure. Like this whole sequence coming up is like pretty cool. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of this is none of these guys are wearing tactical helmets. They're all wearing motorcycle helmets. <laughs> That's all we could get. And I was like, did we not have the budget? Like it was $35 million you couldn't get, but I'm sure somebody thought they looked cooler. Yeah, certainly. They get in the chopper. Alice has a flashback, which I'm not even clear what this flashback is supposed to tell us. This is a medical chopper for Nemesis, mm -hmm. which, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, Umbrella shows up they they've been waiting for them they take everyone hostage and we learn that this whole thing at this point uh, umbrella has decided that since everything went haywire they might as well let nemesis and alice fight to see who's the best battle royale <laughs> yeah it's i'm like what is happening now mm. alice kicks nemesis butt nemesis like pulls out a piece of sculpture to use as a sword but she like kicks him into the rest of the sculpture and yeah. that's when she has her flashback and realizes nemesis is actually matt yeah uh someone in this movie actually says finish him <laughs> yes i'm so happy you've mentioned that 
enough with the video game shit, but yeah. I, I kind of liked it. It was funny. It was pretty funny. Nemesis, of course, remembers her. So, like, he kind of has a good guy turn. Umbrella's like, all right, well, we're going to launch the nuke in five minutes now. Forget the clock. There is a wonderful action beat that I don't understand. I don't understand where Alice was going or what she was doing, Mm -hmm. but she, like, runs around the curved atrium of a building while a helicopter shoots out all the windows, which is, like, a beautiful shot and, like, you know, if we learned anything from Die Hard, it's like shoot the glass, right? Like it's just, it's it's a great shot. I, I don't understand enough of the geography of this scene to figure out what the hell she is doing, right? Yeah, I, I just uh, really uh, just to put a pin and button that one up. Thank you, Capcom. That's from the game. <laughs> okay, all right. It's that literally not this. It's actually not even from the game that this is based off of. It's just in the <laughs> opening sequence of a Resident Evil game. Not sure. It's not Alice. It's not Jill. It's not anyone we will even meet for a few movies still. <laughs> okay. They, it, Paul W.S. Anderson must have just really liked this opening. Se- it's literally the first three minutes of one of the games. <laughs> right on. All right. So there, that's another thing. You know, when you're like, I don't really understand or why is this such a beautiful shot? It's like, well, there it is because they had help it was already storyboarded for them it's true it's true yeah uh so nemesis saves her he shoots a helicopter with his missile launcher Mm -hmm. uh he gets killed she's knocked out oh by the way zombies are back like that's another (laughs) thing they're just so slow you know it's another thing in this film where they're like zombies are everywhere and everyone gets overrun until we don't need them to do that and then like Oh, by the way, zombies are back. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they throw the bad guy off the helicopter, little poetic, fun, poetic justice. Jared Harris, who was killed as part of all of this, eats him. The nuke arrives to some, like, what I found disturbingly heroic music. Like, there is a cue. (laughs) Disturbingly heroic. Right? Like, they're nuking a town, and it's like, yay. I'm like, all right, guys. Someone screams, hang on to something because this is that kind of movie. Sure. Um, And then Alice gets impaled on some debris, like just straight up killed, right? In this helicopter crash. Mm -hmm. We flash forward. Umbrella finds the helicopter crash. Uh, We we fully meet Dr. Isaacs, who I assume is from the game. I don't know. No. Uh, No, he's not. Okay. Yeah. It's just, and it's Ian Glenn. Shows up. Yeah, it's Jorah Mormont. Yeah, is you're like, like, wait a minute. <laughs> the evil scientist. And, <laughs> you know, so, okay. Uh-huh. They find the crash. Uh, we flash forward again. Like, this movie ends, like, more times than fucking Return of the King. Um, <laughs> we find out that Umbrella has covered the whole thing up, right? Yeah. Echoes of fake news, back, even back then. Yeah, Alice's video got out, but they were like, fake news. It was just a hoax. Uh, what really happened was a nuclear reactor meltdown, which I don't know how that's better, but okay. Sure. I mean, I do know how it's better, but still. Ending number four, I think we're on to, <laughs> three. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Jorah Mormont has Alice in a Bacta tank, 
where Alice is weirdly hearing the Red Queen. Mm -hmm. They let her out. They talk about her powers. Like, you know, it's clearly they're revisiting the experiment that is Alice. Um, But also apparently, like, she's a child that doesn't know what a pen is. Um, And then there's, like, a crazy flashback overload. She remembers everything, Mm -hmm. including her name, kicks some ass, uh, and escapes. And now her new power is like she sees a security guard through a camera <laughs> and causes that guy to bleed out. I what are the rules again? <laughs> and that's that's what I mean, right? Is like this movie has like real bad sequelitis, right? Where it's like we have mm-hmm. to amp everything up and I'm like, "Okay, but I don't understand." Like you have to you don't have to give me the scientific explanation, but like maybe that person discovers they can do it. Like she just does it. Like she knows she can do it. Right. It's, yeah. it's just very jarring. And then ending number five, Jill and Oded fair and Mike Epps show up pretending to be umbrella people and escort her out. And there's a big tense moment where they get to the security gate, but Jorah Mormont's like, no, let them go. And he activates Alice's program, which give her matrix eyes. Uh, she starts seeing in binary. Mm-hmm. It's real weird. Like clearly someone had seen the matrix and they have that like green font, but it's just ones and zeros. And then we fly out to an umbrella satellite, which I don't, I don't understand why that was important, but that is the end. We did it. We got through. We did. So uh, this isn't this isn't one of my favorites. I feel like they were they were doing a lot of weird video gamey table setting. I I, I don't know, right? Because I don't know enough about the video game. Like I don't. I, I just think it was over. I don't want to say overwritten because that implies like it's a plot. Like I just feel like it was too complicated for its own good. I am inclined to agree with you about uh, this movie overall. I really did have fun with it, but it is a mess from the word go, essentially. And it's not one of those things where like it clarifies a lot. It actually makes things a lot less clear (laughs) in terms of like, what, again, if I have to ask, what are what are the rules? More than once, then I think that's a failure of the of the writing. It's not really hard with zombies either. It's like if there's a if if you have a Bible, a zombie Bible that you're basing your stuff off of. Let's just go with that. Yeah, and and again, I haven't watched the whole series in a while. I feel like it gets more and less complicated, right? Like, really, the complications become what are Alice's powers, right? Yes. Or who is Alice or like, what is Alice doing? Right. Um, which is weird, <laughs> especially because she's not even in the games. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's not like you have a video game protagonist that you have to explain why they can double jump or why, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Some, sometimes when they, when they converted, a. Uh, a video game into movies they're like overthinking the things in the movie but like she's not even from the games yeah that gives them i i understand like that part of it giving them freedom to not have to be like bound to a character which is cool right but then 
I just, I know personally, like there is wild consistency in at least what the characters can do in the world of the games, right? Okay. It's not like all of a sudden we meet Jill and now she can just jump an eight foot fence and you're like, wow, she is a badass, you know? So She's like, still just a person. Yeah. Jill is like a, a highly trained, essentially like SWAT operative. So it, it makes sense that she can like carry a gun and do badass shit and spin kick your face off or whatever. So like, fine, I get it. Uh, the thing with Alice is really like, I don't know. It's, it's baffling now. And this is the last movie I have a very clear memory of. Like at once we get into the next part, I just, I know the movies get like very brown and mm -hmm. that's, that's really my, it's like a brown cloud is essentially my memory <laughs> of the, of the next four films. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember is the next one, Las Vegas. Uh, it seems right. And it's super Brown. It's like, it's just khaki colored the whole movie. Yeah. I seem to remember there's like, we're on a rooftop for one of them. That might be the Vegas one. Oh, I think that's LA. Oh, LA. This will be fun. Maybe we're on a <laughs> ship at one point, I think. And what, like either I, I again, I, it's like, so it's fuzzy. You know, I'm Alice in this. I don't remember everything yet. It's all vivid flashbacks to what's happening here. This is going to be fun. All right. I'm excited. Eric. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was the best kill in this movie? So the best kill in this movie, which is a problem because it wasn't a kill by the zombies. Uh-huh. The best kill in this movie is Alice killing a liquor with a cross. It was just <laughs> genius. I was like, did that just happen? Like she just defiled a church and killed a liquor while doing it. But yep. Yes, yeah. she did. I'm going to have to agree with you. It's if it wasn't that one, it's the motorcycle liquor, uh, yeah. but they happen in such close proximity. You might, you, I wouldn't be mad if you were like, they count as one kill because it's <laughs> almost true. one fluid movement that she does. I mean, there there are three in that one, right? It's like yeah. the one with the motorcycle, then the one with the cross, then the one with the pew and the and the shotgun. So yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's the liquors. You know, you take your pick. So again, less of a horror movie. Like we oh, yeah. are counting action beats here. Like it's not the zombie kills. It's it's the Alice kills. And yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. You're right. Uh huh. That tra that tracks. That tracks. I think as we get into the later ones where there are more creatures, I think that the creatures that we have seen thus far are essentially like liquors and nemesis. And That's I it. seem to have a memory of in oh, the games. Yeah. In the game. Oh, the dogs. Yeah. In the games, there are a, a wide array of creatures that we encounter. Uh, and I seem to remember some of them popping up in the later films when they probably had even more budget to, to pop them in. So yeah, I'm excited for, the potential there. But I also remember like the cast not being, you know, you, I think the whole world ends, right? So the, the cast, the, the amount of people we can kill off without consequence drops almost to zero. <laughs> so Andrew, it's, it's right there on the tin. This is the apocalypse. I, I mean, hit it. I, I, they, yeah. call, they called it, but they did. This isn't the, well, they contained it though. So like, it was like a, pre, it was like a, they preeminently called it apocalypse. Cause like, not only were they able to put a wall, like a, 
an unscalable wall around a whole city and nuke it without consequence. They seemingly got off and looking like the heroes at the end. They were like, the the response from Umbrella has been wonderful and unprecedented. I I don't remember any of these movies addressing on screen that the world ends. I think we come into the next movie and the world has just ended. It's just over. (laughs) Yeah. Like off screen. Yeah. You have to assume that some of those people that got out in the, as they were exiting one exit. Yeah. Some, but (laughs) they were letting people out and you know, I don't know what the temp, I don't know what the accuracy they have like uh, bespoke devices to test for the T virus (laughs) that they just hold up to your, like your neck or something or your head. I'm like, one of them could have been miscalibrated or I don't know. It's well, yeah. We'll see when we get there. I don't know that we ever find out, but okay. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about some fun production notes and trivia and stuff like that. I'm just going to, I'm going to bang through these pretty quickly. I think some of them are worthwhile. So it is as we expected or suspected, however you want to phrase that, that Paul W.S. Anderson started on this screenplay immediately after the first movie. Like, he was so confident about getting picked up for a second film that he didn't even wait for like the green light. Like he just like, yes, I'm going to, this one's in the can. I'm going to start writing the next one, this one. Oh, and he, he does the same thing with this one. Like, I, I, I don't mean, I don't know whether he wrote the next one right away, but like the ending of this movie is clearly setting up a sequel. Like he has, he is just going for it. It's wild. Again, yeah. this would be the case of like, if this was it, if this movie flopped, this is a terrible ending for a movie. It is not a, <laughs> it's not, it, it's nothing. So there's that. Uh, Mila, she was in training for three months to get in shape for this film, to do the things that she was doing. I think probably at the time, that's a, that's a pretty decent amount of time to like be dedicated to getting into this. We've heard stories of like, uh, for like the matrix and stuff like years. Right. I think that's a kind of an edge case. Uh, but like, you know, it is cool to see the people putting in the work for sure. And like, she's got a lot more to do in this, right? Like the yeah. first movie, like she is, she doesn't find out she's a badass until like act three. Right. And this one, yeah. she's just kicking ass and taking names from the jump. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, despite all of the work she put in, she said she was disappointed with this film. Uh, and that is due to the studio wanting more action and explosions. And as a result, the story was swept under the rug. Now, all she had to do was go into their study, right? And tell her I mean, husband, <laughs> hey, hey, fella. I mean, I, like... I could see studio notes in a couple of places, right? Like that Mike Epps scene that I talked about really feels like a studio note, like those kind of things, right? Like this needs more comedy. This needs more boobs. Let's put (laughs) it in one scene, right? Like, (laughs) yes. um, But I, I, I would disagree with her about the story. I'm confused what she means by that. Yeah. Likewise, you know, it's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Uh, I had looked up the deleted scenes for this movie to see if that was if there was anything there. The the entirety of the deleted scenes that are available on the Blu-ray is eight minutes of footage. 
I mean, who knows, like, if the studio jumped in in pre-production and, like, demanded yeah. rewrites, right? Like, I, who knows? But I, I, I can't imagine that there was more to this story that was missing. It's true. And we're also having a, a first, essentially, ostensibly a first-time director versus Paul not being there. Maybe it would have gone yeah. a different way. A studio at that point would have probably been less likely to have an effective bully against Paul. He would have been like, no. Because <laughs> you know, as we discussed in the last one, they were like, maybe PG-13. And he, he essentially was like, fuck you, it's an R-rated movie. And they they were like, okay, I guess it's an R-rated <laughs> Absolutely movie. Not. Yeah. My wife is going to be naked. I don't care what you say. Yeah, how dare you? Have you seen my wife? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. To prepare for her role, Sienna, Jill, bought a PlayStation and a copy of Resident Evil 3 Nemesis and played the game. And she modeled her movements after Jill's movements, uh, which I think was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, good for her. I don't know that she's much of an actress. But again, like, I don't know how much of this character is based on the video game. Like, that's one of the problems with movies like this, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, I'm not really sure what she's trying to do. So like... Jill doesn't feel like a fully fleshed out character, but I'm guessing Jill's not like a fully fleshed out character in the games, right? She is a badass. Every time we see her, she is doing something badass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't impressed by the performance, but again, don't know what was asked for. Again, there, there is a remake of Resident Evil 2 and 3 that are more recent, complete ground up kind of rewrites of the story to bring them more in line with traditional concepts and and game design. And in the remake, Jill is a fully formed, realized character with motivations and goals. And in the first game, in the the first version, the, the 1997, 98 version, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, that just was not the case. There was not a lot there, in my opinion. Yeah, and you can she, tell that just by looking at her outfit. Like the outfit in this movie is the outfit from the game. It's like, well, okay, well, I know what you're going for. She's she's a Laura Croft Croft clone. Like that's yes. what it feels like. Exactly, it's, exactly. It's like we we need Laura Croft in this game. Okay, yeah. Which is a turn from Jill was in the first game, and in a full in full police gear. Like just in my opinion, a much more capable appropriate <laughs> uh, yeah like more appropriate attire more capable seemed I, I don't know more focused in in the first game it was like a regression to see her in in such a way in the third one that's all yeah okay. uh, there, I, all that to say is sienna probably could have skipped the game and the playstation and <laughs> been absolutely fine and I literally don't remember if that character comes back so maybe she does better in the next one we'll see fingers crossed fingers crossed yeah. Uh, this is a cool thing. The uh, the suit for Nemesis was like roughly 60 pounds. And the Gatling gun, which was real, uh, not I mean, obviously not a real Gatling gun, but, um, you know, substantial. It was 65 pounds. And the dude had to hold it with one arm, right? Yep. Uh, so he could only go for about 15 minutes at a time before he was in like a state of complete exhaustion, which is pretty cool. Not pretty cool yeah. for him. Just like cool to know no, that yeah. the dedication. <laughs> I mean, as we said, it's it's a, a great practical effect. 
it feels like maybe they learned their lesson a little bit with the liquor in the first one. And we're like, if this thing's going to be on screen as much as is in the script, we need an actual physical thing. Yeah. They did it. It looks great. The design is such that like the normal things you notice on a suit like that, like the articulation of the face and that kind of thing, the design just avoids all of that, right? Like the face doesn't move because a nemesis face wouldn't move. It's like all stapled together. So yeah, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, as the, just like the first film, and I don't know if we even touched on this in our first set of production notes, all, almost all of the zombies are professional dancers, which is, which is neat. That's kind of the way that they wanted them to be very bendy and, and flexible. Okay. And they went to like an undead boot camp. Uh, sure. and the, the two rules, only two rules, don't drag your feet and none of the outstretched arms like you would see in a kind of a classic zombie film. You know, right. they don't lift the arms until they're close enough to grab, which I That's think is fair. pretty cool. Yeah. I feel like that was, you know, that was always a little corny, right? So I, I get it. They're, they're hipping it up a little bit. Sure. Sure. They're not expending nearly as much energy, you know, <laughs> just keeping your hands at your sides and shambling around exerts way less energy. Here's a cool thing, Eric. I did not realize this, but I went back and I verified it. As you can see okay. at the end, I have verified truth. All the right. weather map at the beginning, mm-hmm. it clearly shows Raccoon City where Philly would be because you can you can plot it based on the other towns that are listed on the map. So Sellins Grove, Hazleton, and Pottsville are on the map. And I pulled up a map, and I'm like, Selins Grove. And I'm like, okay. And then I followed it across. I'm like, okay, here's Pottsville, and here's Hazleton. And I'm like, if I follow it this way, it's like, holy shit, it's Philadelphia. Okay. It's All right. weird. Because, again, I remember seeing another map, maybe in the outro credits when they're talking about the cleanup, and clearly labeled is somewhere in Illinois. Like here's where the contain here's where the nuclear thing and it's like Illinois, but in that weather map, we're in Pennsylvania. Again, it just goes to show we don't really ever know where Raccoon City is. It's very ambiguous. I mean, yes, and like intentionally so. I t- I totally get that, but it's it's interesting that it would be in Pennsylvania and not be Pittsburgh, just right. as a, a Romero homage. But hey, yes. all right, yeah, sweet. And then this is a final little nerdy thing. Uh, Resident Evil, this this one, Apocalypse, was the last title to be released on VHS, which I'm thinking, I'm like, <laughs> what the hell were they still releasing VHSs in 2000? Oh, but I wow. guess, and it was the first to go to Blu-ray. Sony, and in their infinite wisdom, I think Sony picks this franchise up towards the, the back half. I think it's okay. Screen Gems now. And then Sony either buy screen gems or acquires the franchise or whatever. Yeah. Sony in their infinite wisdom, whenever they come out with a new format, first movie, always 100% the fifth element. It just works. It's a great, and I buy it every time. It does not matter. I'm due for a new copy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I got that 4k Blu-ray transfer. Let's go. For sure. It's just, it is very funny that, you know, we can very clearly date this to say like, this was on VHS. It's, I hate that. I hate that. Feel old. I mean, that's interesting, right? Cause it speaks to that this franchise, uh, 
I don't want to call it a cult classic because I don't think that's the case, but like picks up more of a following in home video. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious to see if the domestics of the subsequent films go up as like people have seen one, two, or even three at home and they're like, oh, I want to see the new one uh, in the theater. Yeah. Because I'm sure that's, we discussed in the first one, I'm sure I was like, I'm not going to see that in the theater, but I definitely saw the last one in the theater. I would not be surprised, you know, and listener, it's not coincidental that we're doing this podcast now on the on the verge of a new Resident Evil movie. It will be interesting to see how this franchise, you know, if we see like a little bump in sales on on like iTunes and stuff like that, it's just like, why are the Resident Evil movies back in vogue? It's like, oh, people are prepping, <laughs> you know, it's like one of those situations. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Got to do my marathon. Yeah, we got to. We're just getting it done weekly and taking extra time to chat about it. So there we go. So Andrew, we talked a little bit going through plot and some other things about how these games tie in or sorry, how the movies tie into the games. Yeah. Again, it sounds like not very much. (laughs) It's not, it's not really. It's it's weird. But like, for example, I knew there was a game called resident evil nemesis yeah. So like, was that the second game? Like, how does this all tie together? So Nemesis is your third game. So Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3 has the subtitle Nemesis. 2 and 3 in the timeline happen at the same exact time. You're just at different parts of Raccoon City and playing as different characters. So there are some direct references in this movie, several to Resident Evil 3 and maybe one Maybe one reference to Resident Evil 2. Okay. So wait, the second and third video game are like concurrent in the timeline? Yes. Yeah. The And you're just like filling in blanks from the other game or something? C- kind of, yeah. They're they're separate they're kind of separate stories, but like uh I will say like the nuke, right? The nuke is a thing that is imminent that everybody knows is going to happen. So the two characters that you would play as Leon and Claire in Resident Evil 2 are aware that a nuke is en route. And then Jill, who is in a different part of Raccoon City doing other shit, also is aware because she's with Carlos and Mikhail. And so like it gets a little – it's just like it's pretty cool that that that's the route they took with it. And that's – it also lends to why they remade 2 and 3 almost in tandem because they were able to reuse a lot of the same assets and it it looks awesome. Gotcha. Uh, But yeah, they almost uh, 100% skipped the, the the plot of two, which is the better game. So (laughs) there you have it. Nemesis from the game is, is visually exactly what we see here down to like, like I said, he has a rocket launcher. I think in the game, he may have also had a flamethrower. I don't know if you ever had a Gatling gun. That seemed like it'd be way overpowered because you are just a regular <laughs> human being in the game. A rocket launcher is also way overpowered. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but that's that's true. Uh, his whole directive is hunt and kill stars, right? Uh, and the only line he ever says in the game is stars, which he says one time in this, and that's super fan servicey. It's exactly, if you told me they lifted the audio from the game of 
him saying stars and put it in the movie, I'd be like, yeah, that, that tracks. It sounds identical. Makes sense. All right. This is very unclear to me, even as someone who's played many of the games. I'm not sure how they control this thing. Uh, I just know that like the ultimate goal is to have a bioweapon that is controllable. It gets into a lot of other weird shit later on from four Resident Evil 4 onward about like what they're doing to control these things. But this looks like, like you said, he's just like a Terminator. Like they put a chip in his brain and they send directives to him. I don't understand it, but there, there it is. He's supposed, you, you imagine dropping three or four of these into a, yep. an enemy thing and, you know, that's what it is. That tracks, okay. All that is to say there might be more nemeses that we see in later movies. I don't, I don't really Nemesi. remember that. Nemesai. <laughs> <laughs> Nemesai. Yeah, that sounds better, actually. Sure. Uh, the sequence, the police officers are surrounded, completely overrun, right from the game. That's like, a, and the, even the angle of the shot is almost identical. I think when you're, <laughs> that crowd control should have been happening with grenades and not bullets, but I digress. That's fine. Sure. Let's see. We're go I'm going to skip over some of these. The Jill's outfit is the same. We talked about that. The zombies rise from the grave. That also happens. Jill uses a gas stove to create an explosion to kill. Uh, in the first game, it was to stop Nemesis briefly. In this one, it's to kill the dogs. I just thought that was pretty funny. Nemesis shoots down a helicopter in the games with the rocket launcher. He does that in this movie, too. You're like, okay, there it is. That's the same exact thing. Check. Done. All right. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Ashford is the name of the guy who created Umbrella in the games, but it's not, I think this is just an homage. He's, he's not like really, he wasn't a, this guy, our Ashford looks just kind of like a scientist and he also dies where the other Ashford lives to a very, very yeah. old age. It's this guy just seems like a cog. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. He's nobody They They shot him like he was. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. Alice's abilities at this point mirror somebody in the game named Albert Wesker, who we may or may not run into in later films. Uh, oh, we definitely run into him in later films. I definitely remember that name. I'm just like, <laughs> what now? There's another person with these abilities? But okay. The, the, the story of Wesker in these games is absolutely wild. I don't, it's, it's, it doesn't, it does not make a whole lot of sense. Even in the very tenuous game narrative, you're like, I guess maybe we'll see. So, All right. uh, like I said, the running down the glass hallway shot from a helicopter, that whole sequence that's taken from a game called code Veronica, which is uh, the fourth game. Even though there is a Resident Evil 4, this was like sequentially the fourth game that was made. It's a little side story. Pretty cool. He, he literally grabbed the scene from the first three minutes. And as you see the nuke coming into town, it's a pretty cool camera shot at the end, right? Where the camera's like upside down. It like tracks the nuke across. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's hard to describe. Mm -hmm. It's like a 180 pivot kind of. Like the camera goes from one side to the other. That's directly from the game, which I thought was a cool shot back then. <laughs> I believe it is a cool shot here as well. So <laughs> Fair. And then the final thing, and this is just a maybe, this is a stretch for me. Uh, when Alice visits her, as you described it, uh, the gun shop, what did you, was it the? Um, uh, I think I said from Terminator. Terminator, but, yeah. Yeah. In Resident Evil 2, and a little bit in Resident Evil 3, you do visit a gun shop called Kendo's, 
It's a pretty, he's like a pretty iconic character in the series, despite dying almost, almost immediately in the original games. <laughs> All right. And that's where you go get your first, you, you, you gear up there before you start off into the game proper in Resident Evil 2. So that might, that might be it, but that's like, it's kind of cool. Like her first stop is kind of, you know, here's where I go to get my gear to start the mission as it Gearing were. Gearing up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's how it, that's how it ties into the games. I, there, there might've been stuff that I missed or I just stepped over. If that's the case, you reach out and let me know. But it seems like they very much just cherry picks things that look cool or sound cool or are fan servicey. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, as a video game fan, I think I would be frustrated. Um, <laughs> like not having, I think that's one of the reasons that like, I like this franchise way more than my gamer friends is because I've never played the game. So I don't have any stake in it. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't have any horse in this race. Um, so I think that it's fun to be able to do that, right? Yeah. But like, I could also see somebody being like, that isn't even this game, right? <laughs> like, yeah. well, like, what yeah, are you doing? Th- that happens a lot to me. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought we were in Resident Evil 3 and what are we doing over here in Code Veronica? It doesn't, it's, it is like an initially like a, a shell shocking moment for it. And then I'm like, you know what though? It's clear to me that the dude plays the games, which yeah. is more than can be said about a lot of other video game movie writers. Where it's like, did you even did you did you even turn on the system? <laughs> right? For like sure. Someone he like, you know. I mean, I guess the equivalent for me would be like comic book movies, right? Where like I'm like, that's not how that happened. That's not yeah. how that works, right? Like, so I, I can definitely see it for sure. Yeah, that's that that that's that's perfect. You know, it's Marvel taking liberties with how X Y Z happened, or uh, it's probably more likely <laughs> Sony with their alt Spider Man universe that's happening. Yeah. Like you're like, what is this? Stop. Like with Marvel, they they tend to be a little more reverent, but then you get like three different f- like Fantastic Four movies and you're like, what is going on here? Right. So how did you fuck this up three uh, times? Uh, yeah. That, yeah. Or, or, uh, I think I've online, I've made my thoughts very clear about how I feel about Zack Snyder's interpretation of the DCEU. Uh, sure. In that I yeah. don't, it's bad. Don't stop. What are you doing? <laughs> and I, th- yeah. I think that's, Yeah. That that is that is a very good analogy of what it's like. Yeah, yeah. The games to comic books analogy works really well. So makes sense. All that is to say, Eric, would you recommend this movie? It's hard to say, like on its own. I it almost begs to be in the context of the films that bookend it. But someone's like, "Hey, Resident Evil! You're doing a Resident Evil podcast. Should I rewatch mm-hmm. that?" I'm going to say no. Okay. I, I, I don't think there's enough like fun, interesting stuff here to, to recommend it. It's just kind of a mess all over the place. Yeah. Um, we'll see as we go through like how it holds up compared to others. I 
didn't recall this being quite so disjointed, so I was kind of surprised on my recent rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, I had remembered bits and pieces, and it felt like a much more straight-ahead narrative, right? Like, they had a goal, the nemesis was stalking them, and zombies, right? Like, that's what I remembered. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a lot more convoluted than that. <laughs> uh, and it, I don't think it, like, pays off. Uh, right. So now I wouldn't recommend this one. What about you? I'm going to reserve the right later to unrecommend it. However, for right now, I, I do recommend it because I think later movies explain some of this stuff. But that's also realizing that a later movie shouldn't have to explain shit about what we're watching right now because <laughs> we never knew if that was going to come. So I liked the set pieces. Uh, I thought... There were some, for better or worse, there were some laugh out loud moments for me. And it's all eps. It's all eps. It's sure. no, nothing else was funny about this movie. And yeah. w- But what they gave him to do, I thought was, you know, it was, it, it was funny. Necessary? No. But funny? Sure. <laughs> so it is a recommend for me. But realizing that later I might be like, you know what? No. <laughs> Maybe at the end, we'll we'll do a full recommend. (laughs) We'll come back to it then. Yeah. On our other podcasts, we have this thing called The Reckoning, where we come back and we revisit with with clear eyes. When we're in it, Mm -hmm. it's sometimes tough to see. It's only after you've gone through the journey can you look back with uh, hindsight. So for right now, I'm going to say yes. For set pieces alone, uh, which I thought were really, really nice. All right. let's, Let's see how it goes. Are you ready for the next one? Uh, I don't know what it is, but sure. As we discussed, they have super generic titles that don't remind you of anything about the movie. So I, I think this is the desert one. The next one is Resident It's, it's Extinction. Uh-huh. I, I, I just, yeah, I can't remember anything. So we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. That's it. We did it. Another one in the can, as they say. All right. If, uh, if people wanted to find and keep up with you on the internet, some of your other shenanigans and stuff, where would they, where would they look? I am on Twitter uh, and Instagram at Platypus Jones. Yeah. But also the 12 and 24 Discord is a good place to find me. I hang out there pretty regularly. Great. Yeah. You can, uh, you can catch me on there as well. That's 12and24.com slash Discord. 12and24.com, just in general, my podcasts, Cool Breeze Over the Mountains. You'll also hear Eric on there. The Kurt Locker, you will also hear Eric on there. We have a huge backlog of stuff. If you like what we do here, you're going to like what we do there. It's probably an even more structured show. <laughs> Honestly, I like to play this one a little fast and loose. So I think we have fun. So uh, do that. And I'm on Twitter at Dark Driving. And I guess Instagram, but Twitter is going to be the place where I am the most. So Not using the gram anymore? I Yeah. I, I get to this point where I'm like, do I? I, I don't care. You know? <laughs> Like, do I want to exert the energy? I don't know. I feel like, I mean, like this takes a significant amount of time, but at yeah. the end I have something, right? That's true. And with with Instagram, you, know, you just put stuff out there and you're like, what, what did I do? It's, it's shorter. Point? It takes less time, but does it mean anything? I don't know. It's a very existential thing I'm going through. So this is great. Right. I love well, podcasts. Hopefully you work that out. Yeah. <laughs> It's me and Instagram, you know, 
real existential <laughs> crisis. So that's great. All right, that's it. We're done. Thank you all for joining us. And remember, just one bite, one scratch from these creatures is sufficient. Stay safe out there. If, uh, if people wanted to find and keep up with you on the internet, some of your other shenanigans and stuff, where would they, where would they look? Uh, I am on uh, tin- Tinder. Jesus. <laughs> I am not on Tinder. We're going to cut that out. Eric I'm, is, I'm Eric is in a relationship. next month. <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter.